Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. This is the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus, and this is Cam. Can we see our dreams come true? So today we're going to be talking with Chris Tucker. Chris is 49 years old. He was 43 when he suffered a stroke. And we're going to talk to Chris and find out what happened. And he is going to share things that he has learned in the last six years with other people affected by stroke. And he believes that if someone had done these things for him, his marathon journey would have been a lot easier. And he's putting together a stroke survivor's guide to life after stroke. The guide touches mobility, balance, essential life skills, and how to stimulate the cognitive thinking. So welcome, Chris. Thank you, Kim. Tell us what happened. From what I understand, you were having a brain aneurysm surgery. Yeah, I had a brain bleed one night at home and went to see the hospital the next day. And they said, well, give me an MRI to see what's going on. And they said, nope, you've got an aneurysm brain bleed. So they coiled that. And I was home with the next day back to law, back at work, and then after six months, the aneurysm really grew, and I had to have brain surgery to clip the aneurysm. And during that surgery, I had a hemorrhagic stroke. Were you prepared at all for this? No, the surgeon that gave the surgery for my aneurysm said, I may, he may, I may have a, a list. That was his worst scenario. Never, it never mentioned stroke. But obviously, it wasn't on his mind. But yes. So at this point, how has this affected your life, or well, changed it? It changed dramatically. I had just been promoted at work from an auditor role into a state management role, and then. I didn't do one hour in that role. I now don't drive anymore because I had a, I lost my peripheral vision on the left hand side. I have to walk with a walking stick, use a mobility scooter, and it's taken me six years to get my brain working so I can process things that make sense, you know, in a, in a logical way. So. I understand that because my brain still doesn't work like it used to, but it has recovered enough so that people don't know that I have a brain injury most of the time. Tell us about the brain aneurysm. It was a giant basilar tip aneurysm with 10.2 centimeters long next to my basilar artery in my brain. So wow. the giant aneurysm, and yeah. the surgeon was the only surgeon prepared to do the surgery. The rest is too dangerous. Oh. But if I hadn't have had the surgery, I'd be dead. So the fact I'm, I'm still here, half the body's not working properly yet, but it will. From what I understand, the first time that you had the the bleed, right? Yeah. You went in the next day and they 
they basically kind of thought that it had stopped bleeding, it was okay, and, and you went home. They coiled it? But the second time that all of this happened and they did the surgery, did your stroke happen during the surgery? During, or the, surgery, yes. during the surgery, okay. I went in relatively normal, much normal as I could be, and woke up with only half body working. How do you think you've done in your recovery? If I'd known this is where I'll be six years later, I wouldn't have been so depressed because I'm right. pretty happy with the progress I've made. But what I found was any information out there is only medical or it's aimed at 70-year-olds. There's nothing practical about what a younger person must do Mm-hmm. to recreate their life under these new conditions. And that's what I'm trying to do is give people in. The, the thing is that I had a care working for me who had 43 years experience and she was finding out new things every day. I am a complete newcomer to this world. There's so much out there, but if you don't know what's there, you don't know where to go. You've got no idea. Right. Absolutely. This is something that I talk about all the time is that the therapies that I find are far and few between uh, the different, the different things, the, the things kind of that are off the, the track, even, I guess you'd call it, that just aren't normal for people, I guess. Um, but not only that. Scattered all over the place. But if you don't know where to look, you're never going to find it. Well, right, and even if you look at all the places information should be, there's still more out there, and yeah. they don't have it all. And so that, to me, is is frustrating because yeah. I want to be able to look in a few places maybe and find yeah. the information I need. What have you learned in the last six years? I have learned that life doesn't end with a stroke. Absolutely. It, just, it absolutely just changes the way you need to approach life. You need, my do- doctors told my ex-wife, my children, I wasn't going to survive the surgery. I didn't think I'd recover. And the doctor said, he will be incontinent, unable to walk, talk, or swallow ever again. They were very quick to say that, but I don't believe that that's true. I mean, I understand that they are just stating the facts as I see them, but they forget about hope. You need to maintain hope. Well, and they also forget that each stroke, no matter what, is different. I hate that when they tell you that this is how you're going to be, and I love people that prove them wrong. That's right. I mean... My family was devastated. My daughter was doing her final year exams at 17 and trying to focus on doing the exams, not knowing if her father was going to survive. My son was nine, just turning 10. The person that they knew did die. Another person has emerged that looks the same but can't do the same things. Mm -hmm. So it's a very scary thing or the families deal with, and it's, so it's not my only my. It's their 
what's hard to affect them. It's just the mm-hmm. loved ones or strokes of ours that must feel distressing as well. That is something people don't understand, that stroke not only affects the survivor, it affects the whole family. That's mine. So what is your biggest lesson maybe that you've learned through all of this? I came across, I met a lady at the the Brain Injury Association in Sydney who said to me she had an aneurysm as well and her father as a doctor said, you need to take vitamin B1. Mm-hmm. Your brain needs that to help it recover and remember who it, what, what it was, how good it was. And mm-hmm. I have been taken out for six months, and I cannot believe how much quicker my brain is working since I started taking notes. Yeah. But that was just a chance meeting. And I am amazed that my – I. I mean, I lie in bed in the morning because I, I sleep for like 14 hours to give myself, I need the rest. Mm-hmm. I lie in bed in the morning waiting to get up, listening to the birds, and I start practicing simple calculations. I do my speech therapy. I, I go through my list of action plan, what do I need to do? to help my brain recover and remember who it was because the brain is still wonderful. It's just right. needs a bit of a push in the right direction. I think my brain sometimes needs a little shake here and there. Yeah. You have been working on a guide to help other stroke survivors. Yes. Tell me about that. I started as a book because I, I was finding the exercise of writing about my story very cathartic. And my carer said to me, look, the story's great. I got to 16,000 words. She said, but if, why don't you highlight the points that really made a difference to you on your journey and put it in the guide? So that's when I got to the guide and started speaking to Sarah Belson about the guide. And she responded very positively and said, it's fantastic. So I just... I'm working on that. I'm working every day because I need to remind myself what it, I'm the one who's writing it, but I need to remind myself the things that help me whenever I'm you know, plotting on. Just go back and say, oh, shit, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. It's just something simple to keep looking at and saying, okay, you need to approach things differently. You just need to take a deep breath, slow down. There's no hurry. And give your child, your brain a chance to work through. I was very reliant initially on routines. If I did things, the same things the same way, I would get the same results. But after taking those vitamin, vitamin B1 tablets, I can vary my routine according to where I am. So if I go on holiday, for example, I can achieve the same objective in a different setting, that makes sense. A little bit. I have to have a routine. And when I say routine, it's like I know that Monday through Friday I get up at a certain time. Yes. I do I have a certain routine to get ready for the day. I get to work and I make my breakfast and and everybody fortunately knows 
not to interrupt me until I'm again sitting at my desk and after I eat, have eaten, because if they do, it throws me off. That's right. But once I have gotten that morning part and I'm sitting at my desk, I'm fine. Who knows why? But, but there are certain things that I have to keep into a routine. But you're right. If I did everything exactly all the way through every day, you know, the same, you get stuck in a rut, I think, is, is what I'd call it. But it's very comforting to know that if, if you do the same thing every time, you will get the same result. It's reassuring when your brain isn't capable of working on the spot like it used to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you that's... just follow routines, it makes your life very much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always kick my routines up a little bit. When do you expect to finish this, or is this just like a work in progress? It's ongoing. I mean, but I'm also aware, because I've written it from a male perspective, there may be a lot of things I've left out that may be affecting a female stroke survivor differently and things that they had to do differently. You mentioned the name Sarah Belson earlier, and I've talked to her before, but how did you get in touch with her? I one day emailed, I found the email address of the president of the World Stroke Organization, Professor Zhang, and I emailed him, and he delegated it to Sarah, and I told her what I was looking for, and she read and said, that's fantastic, Chris, let's do some work on this. And now we're at the stage where we would like to present it to the delegates at the International Stroke Conference in Hawaii this year to get input on the guide from them about whether I've included everything, whether there's things I've forgotten, things from a female perspective. Let's build it in. I've created a page on my Facebook site called Overcoming Stroke where people can give me feedback on the guide. I put the guide on there but they can give me feedback on the guide and I can incorporate directly without worrying about how will they contact me. Just go to Facebook, log it there, and I can pick it up straight away. Wow. And hopefully we can get to where, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where, that, where it's going to lead to, but I'm just trying to get to be, it's hard, like you say, every struggle is different to incorporate everything, but if I can make it generic enough, to assist anybody that has a, survived a stroke or their loved ones to help them give them pointers where to go. I mean, it may be different in Australia. I'm very lucky because it has amazing resources. What other words of wisdom or what have we maybe not covered that you might like to talk about? I've talked about the, the vitamin B1, which is the absolute priority but I know that you need to get speak to your doctor first before taking it, just to make sure there's no clash with any medication you're taking before you start on the course. But I'll give you another example. I met a speech therapist who said, Chris, you're struggling to control your saliva. I said, yes, I don't like going in public because I can't control my drool. She said, all you need to do is take 
atropine eye drops, put three drops in a hundred mils of water and use it as a mouthwash and it will help you to control your um, saliva output. And that meant I can then go back into public again. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I knew a little bit about the B1 because I am taking it. Well, keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my focus is trying to get the guide out to as many people as possible, and that way we can get feedback or input on the guide as to whether it's helpful or not, whether I'm just in my own little world dreaming, whether I'm actually providing something that can help others that have had strokes or have been affected by strokes. And we can get input quicker that way if we get it out to more people. The more people that see it, the quicker I can get all the feedback that might be pertinent. So, Chris, do you have a separate page for your guide? Facebook? Yes. It's called Overcoming Stroke. Okay. So, so if you um, go to Facebook and look Overcoming Stroke, you'll find, you'll find a photo of me and you'll find my page. Okay. So if anybody's interested in reading what he has or giving feedback, go to Facebook and look at over for overcoming stroke, right? Chris, thank you for so much for being here. I truly appreciate it. I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode. And again, we want to show our appreciation to the World Stroke Organization because they help get us together. So I want to thank everyone for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. Good night. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by the World Stroke Organization. Stroke Focus is collaborating with members of the World Stroke Organization to explore ways to advance stroke care. We believe there is a tremendous potential to significantly improve stroke and brain injury cares. We will beat the stroke and brain injuries one day, but only when stroke survivors and caregivers drive the changes together. 